I've entitled my message, Jesus Culture. It's not about me. Now, you can see a little play on words there, can't you? I've capitalised the end of Jesus. It's not a new way to write His name. It's a statement I'm making this morning that there is an us in Jesus. It's not about me. Jesus Culture. I want to start with uh, sharing uh, this morning uh, something that I found uh, on Facebook. Um, so, just like YouTube, it is 100% truth. You can rely on this. You can form doctrinal, foundational, life-altering principles based on this. And I want to share this morning to you about the perfect pastor, all right? The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. The perfect pastor receives a standard wage, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books and donates most of his wage back to the church. He is 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. Above all, he is handsome. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He remembers everyone's birthdays and prays for everyone all the time and is always up for a chat. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humour that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for church leaders and all of its committees. He never misses the meeting of any church department and is always busy evangelising the unchurched and is a first-class example of a healthy work-life balance, spending quality time with his wife and with his children. The perfect pastor is always over at the next church. So this morning, if your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor too, and then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. If everyone cooperates, in one week you will receive 1,643 pastors. One of them should be perfect. Honestly, it sounds like yours truly. <laughs> oh, church. Don't you love church? I love church. I love the family. I love the fun. I love the mess. I love all the weird, the crazy, the serious, and everyone in between, all the ages and stages. It's what makes up the church, the bride of Christ. You and I, I love Jesus. You know, it's church is you, it's me, and it's as many people as we can gather. That's what the church is. What, is the, what does the world need more of at the moment? Jesus. So much. The world needs so much. The world needs freedom. The world needs love. The world needs joy. The world needs hope. The world needs breakthrough. The world needs to, to feel a sense of belonging. The world needs health. The world needs family. The world needs Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning that we are the witness of that Jesus to the world around us. It's you and me. All the answers are all found in Jesus. We don't have to try and make it up because it's already been done. It's already been achieved. It's already been succeeded. Jesus said, it is finished. 
the answer to everything, the answer to all of the issues that you and I go through, the answer to all of the issues that the whole world goes through, the answer is Jesus. Whatever the need, whether it's mental, relational, emotional, financial, physical, whatever it is, for every single scenario, I can confidently tell you, and you can be confident too, that who you serve is the answer. Jesus is the answer. If you're stuck in a situation, pause for a moment and go, Jesus is the answer. So how do I bring Jesus into this moment? How do I bring Jesus into this moment? You know, as we come to the end of another year, as we are conscious about celebrating the gift of Jesus, I really felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to preach today to be a witness to the real Jesus around us. That we would show the world around us who the real Jesus is. Come on, you've heard the stories. You know that we sit on wooden pews and that we sing hymns and the priest wears robes and there's no laughter in church and the roof is going to fall down if I attend. You've heard it all, haven't you? Like whenever you talk about church, you hear all of the stuff and it's like, you know what, if only they could see it. You know, I want to encourage you, well, invite them. Because then they'll see it and they'll see a Jesus that they'll want. You are not, you are not going into relationship into a conversation with people, with something or someone that they don't want or don't need. No, you are stepping into those conversations the end of this year with someone that they actually really want. Because when anyone ever meets Jesus, they're like, oh my gosh, wow, like I want him. And, and I want to give my whole life to him. I want to serve and I want to know more about him. I want to spend time with him because he's awesome. That's who you are representing to the world around you. Church, the world needs an answer to all the hurt, to all the pain and all the suffering. They need an answer. They need to know that there is another way. They need to know that there is a way out of what they are enduring. And church, you and I have the answer and his name is Jesus. Amen? So today is what we can do about it. Today is a day of practical application of scripture, how we can be the church, how we the church can be the answer, because we should be. We've been called to be the answer. And we've been called to show Jesus to the world. But first, it starts here. First, it starts in the room. First, it starts with your brother and with your sister. My foundational scripture for today is John chapter 13, verse 33 to 35. And this is Jesus, red letters, talking. He says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I've told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's a really, really big, big statement that Jesus is encouraging us to take hold of. He said, just as I have loved you. Even if we just focus on the word just, because he's saying just. So my example, as I have loved you, just as I have loved you, this is how you should love one another. Just start to let that thought run a little bit wild in your mind. Think of how Jesus loves us. Think about what he showed 
to the disciples when he was with them. Think about the, the movement from compassion toward people. Think about all of the scenarios that no one else knew what to do with, but Jesus moved towards them. Jesus would walk towards them and bring love into a situation. Lepers, where everyone ran away from them, Jesus walked towards them. Demoniac people, no one else knows what to do with them, Jesus would walk towards them. Issues of sickness and healing issues, issues of finance, Zacchaeus, all the sinners, all the notorious scum that the uh, religious Pharisees called them. What did he do with them? He dined with them. Just think about Jesus' example. And Jesus said, just as I have loved you, love one another. How should we love one another? With genuine brotherly affection. Genuine brotherly affection. Counting others is more important than oneself. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 10 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. So that's, that's the scriptural basis for how. We're told to love others. How do we love others? With genuine brotherly affection, showing interest in others, taking delight in honouring each other. Have a think about that. When was the last time you took delight in honouring someone in the family of God? That you, that you took delight in honouring, that you saw something good that they did and you honoured them for it, you encouraged them by it. The Bible says genuine brotherly affection. You think about brothers. Oh, I've got a few of them. And uh, I also fought with lots of them. Quite regularly. But that's okay, because brothers. We got over it, we moved on, because we love each other. If anyone else tried to touch us, well, you know, thank God I had a lot of them. <laughs> you know, the more the merrier. You know, because like, you know, at school you didn't pick with a funnel. It's like, because it's like, there's a funnel behind every building, behind every, in every toilet block, behind every bush, there's like a funnel running around. It's like you pick on one funnel, you got the whole funnel clan coming at you. It's true. I remember in grade eight, I was the first funnel at Bray Park State High School. And for whatever reason, I think it's because they took pity on me because I was short, I had red hair and I was covered with freckles. And these grade 12 boys just took a liking to me. Man, they like, they cheered me when I'd walk through the playground. They're like, funnel! And like, yell out at me. And it's like, man, I get a new watch. They're like, funnel, you got a new watch. I'm like, yeah, I did, thanks for noticing. And get a brand new like cap funnel you got a new cab and man it was awesome anyone picked on me oh man there's like there's like these three grade 12 boys I don't know what, what happened there honestly I just think they actually just felt pity for, for me like you know we need to protect this guy at all costs because he's gonna need it and uh, I did okay so anything went down man those three grade 12 boys grabbed all of their group and came and they got those naughty little boys uh, who were trying to do naughty things to me and they threw them in the sticky bush. That's right, the sticky bush. Bray Park State High School had a famous sticky bush. It was a, a bush about yay high, about a metre by a metre by a metre, about a metre cubed. And uh, it was, had those sticky purple flowers on it. And it would, but, the, but the branches were quite 
prickly. And uh, man, you would hear from one end of the school grounds to the other, sticky bush! Man, there was someone getting thrown in the sticky bush. And uh, I can tell you, I never got thrown in the sticky bush, but there was a number of people thrown in there on my behalf. (laughs) Yes. Genuine brotherly affection. You think about the best time that you've had with one of your family, your blood relatives. Just time that you were laughing, time that you were enjoying hanging out with them and just, just whatever, I don't know, the crazy games that you come up with at midnight when you should be going to sleep or, or you're on a family holiday or the road trip or whatever it is. Well, Jesus says in his word to love each other with genuine affection, with brotherly affection, like blood relation. That is how God asks us to love the people in this room. Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So, what stops us from loving one another? What happens when we, when we, when we get rubbed up the wrong way by a brother or a sister? What happens when we, when we don't see eye to eye with one of our, one of our brothers or sisters. What stops us? Well, I want to encourage you this morning that it's, it's not really the real you. It's not the, it's not the born again you. It's not the saved you. It's the innate you, the innate human nature, the you that was born into sin. We have two things. We have our flesh, we have our heart. Jesus said to his boys in the garden that the flesh is weak, The spirit is willing, but the flesh, the flesh is weak. And he told him what to do in that moment. He said, watch and pray, because the spirit might be willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. Romans chapter 7, Paul said, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate that? The worst is when you do something wrong and then the Holy Spirit talks to you. It's like, oh, not now. It's like, where are you looking? It's like you're driving down the road and then, yeah, you know, someone does something they shouldn't do. Man, it's like, it's like sometimes if you're in the fast lane and you should be doing at least 100, I mean, there's a, smart, there's a slight small, you know, grace of percentage that, you know, you can go a little bit over 100, you know, as a good pastor would only ever do. And, uh, you know, just so that you can overtake in the right lane. But you shouldn't sit on 90 in the right lane. So out of my care for everyone on the road, I just give them a little honk and just a little wave like this. Just encourage them that maybe this lane is not for them. I always feel like I'm doing a good service. And I, I, I very rarely get responded to with great reciprocation. It's usually a gesture uh, that is not for church or, or they just slow down 80 and I'm like, I've just heard everyone behind me more. So it's all right, you just start a trend, you move into the middle, come back around them, give them a little wave as you drive past, just a gentle smile, smile and wave people, smile and wave, yes. The flesh, we can't help it sometimes, can we? And then we think, oh man, you do, like, you, you get angry at the kids. Oh, I shouldn't have said that to them. And then it's like the moment where, like, 
you know, you got to come and say sorry and, you know, shouldn't have said that, you know, and you try not to justify it because you're trying to raise the children to just say sorry with no but after the sorry and you're like, you know, sorry, shouldn't have done that, you know. Uh, but, you know, sometimes, you know, as your dad, as your mum, you know, it's not perfect. I know you think I am, but, you know, don't you hate it though? It's just the innate humanity that we struggle with. Like Paul says, you, you, you try to do what is right, but you inevitably do what is wrong. Thank God for Jesus Christ. What a wretched man am I. The flesh, you see, the flesh wants to feel good. You know, when you say, oh, it's not feeling it, it's your flesh. It's your flesh not feeling it. You know, it's your flesh that starts to allow you to be ruled by feelings. It wants to serve itself. You know, the flesh must be fed or it dies. It's the same with your spirit, though. If you don't feed your spirit, it will start to die. If you think that you've been struggling this year, I want to encourage you to maybe consider going on a fast before the end of the year. I know God has actually personally been challenging me and I've already done one and I'm going to continue to do more because I'm like, man, I shouldn't be struggling with stuff like that. And God's just been challenging you to go on a fast show. Start to tell your flesh to submit to your spirit. Tell your flesh, no flesh. You are going to submit to the spirit. So if you're starting to struggle, then maybe your flesh is being fed a little bit too much and maybe your spirit is not being fed enough. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just our flesh. We also have our heart. Our heart is where it gets tricky because we love from our heart and we feel love in our heart. But the Bible says that our heart is desperately wicked. You think about that, there's a lot going on with the heart. You feel in it, you hear God in it, it's where your desires come from, but the innate heart of the human is desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Have you ever thought a thought and you're like, did I just think that? (laughs) Have you ever thought a thought that's shocked you? Or you've thought a thought and then you've realized, like, am I even saved? <laughs> it's like you think a thought about someone or you, or you go to think a thought about someone or something and you're like, I'm not even saved. I'm not even a Christian. Like, how could I think that about someone who Jesus literally died on the cross for? Like, I, and, then you, and then you go into a moment of forgiveness and repentance and you start seeking God. You're like, God, am I actually saved? Am I really saved? You, you have not just got your flesh fighting against you. You've also got the enemy of your souls. You know, there's it, not just God, there's the devil. Sometimes people think, oh, all this bad stuff that happened. Why does God? Well, there's a devil out there too. And there's a third of the angels that chose to follow him, the ones we call demons that are out there, adding to the issue. And then we have our flesh. And then we have a heart that in its innate, inborn, Human nature is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. How do we get around all this? (laughs) Honestly, how do we get around all of this? How do we work our way through it and try and produce some good works that we can actually store some treasures up in heaven with? 
I've been thinking a lot about this because I know it's a constant struggle. Paul said, I, it's a constant struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Paul, Paul said, why? It's all the time. It's like, I, thank God. Well, I believe, like everything, Jesus is the answer. And I believe that there's a very specific answer. You think about, Jesus said this, what you say flows from what is in your heart. Out of the mouth flows from the abundance of the heart. That's why we must be born again. That's why Jesus said you have to be born of water and of spirit. The answer is the cross. But it's not just Jesus' cross, it's our cross. To daily take up your cross and follow Him. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Every day we struggle, every day we have an answer. We can take up our cross daily and follow him. So you can choose to do it in the morning, you can choose to do it at night. If you're doing it at night, you're probably going to have to repent of the day that you just lived. It's probably a lot better to do it in the morning, to pick it up in the morning and start fresh for the day. To take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Because if you start in the morning, it's going to make your day a whole lot easier. If you think about the cross in the morning and if you take up your cross every day, every morning, it's going to help you to follow Jesus. So what is it? Do we all need to walk around with Tim Crosses? Do we need to like get something in our room that we just pick up and, and then, you know, just get comfortable with it and then put it down? But we sort of, you know, mentally, emotionally take it with us, pretend that we're carrying a, a cross every day. You know, what does it mean to take up your cross? Well, I want to put to you that it just simply means to die to self. Because what, what did Jesus do on the cross? He died. So our cross is to die, who? To self. Because it's not about me. It's not about me. The cross is the most selfless act of all time. When we are wronged, what's our go-to move? When you get wronged by someone, what's your natural response? What's your first response? Justice. They better apologize. How dare they? Like, like, how dare they do that to me? And we seek it out. And, you know, maybe if they, if they apologize and, they, and they, they don't stand next to me for, you know, three weeks and, and you know, shout me a coffee from the cafe and, uh, you know, do enough good works to get back into my good books. And then maybe, just maybe, I might actually consider forgiving them. Well, at least I'll say I'll forgive them. But do you really? When you get wronged by someone, what do you seek? Let alone, let alone someone who is not Christian. When someone who is Christian and they wrong you, what do you do? How do you respond? Because I'll tell you that that's what you could use as a bit of a plumb line to see how you are doing in your relationship with God and in, with the commandment to love one another. Will you invite them over? 
Will you pray for them? Will you hope that good things happen to them? When they receive favor, will you be joyful for them? Or will you think thoughts of, well, they didn't deserve that. I I reckon I deserve that a bit more than them. Why did they get that and not me? This is not what we see Jesus doing, though, is it? It's not how we see Jesus loving the people around him. You know, you think about for Jesus, the cross, was, the cross was not just. It was not his punishment, it was our punishment. It was not what he deserved, it was not fair, it was not right, but we are so thankful that he took it. And he still takes it for us every day and he is taking it forevermore. He has done it once and for all time. It is finished. Once for all time sacrifice. He has done it on your behalf. Have a think about when you had to last forgive someone and, and challenge yourself, did you truly forgive them? Or is there someone that you're maybe not loving right now? Well, I want to ask you two questions today. Would Jesus love them? Would Jesus forgive them? You know, we, we love that Jesus forgives us because <laughs> we love the reward that comes from that forgiveness. But sometimes I think that you know, we, we sometimes struggle a bit too much. Let alone forgiving others, we struggle with forgiving ourselves. If you find it hard to forgive yourself, you are going to find it hard to forgive others. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus said, just as I have loved you, love one another. As you allow His forgiveness to flow freely in your life, as you recognize the magnitude of His love, it will help you to begin to love the world around you the way Jesus loves you. John 15 verse 9 to 17 says this, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, so remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Aren't you glad you're a friend of Jesus? Aren't you glad that you are a friend of Jesus? I want to encourage you this morning to now begin to allow that friendship to overflow. Jesus said, as you love one another, your joy will overflow. You start forgiving people around you, your joy will overflow. You start recognizing what Jesus said is better to give than to receive, your joy will overflow. Some of the things that you've been struggling with, some of the stuff, like sometimes, like I said before, we we start to struggle so much with sin or, or with allowing God's forgiveness to flow to us. But if you just get stuck into doing the mission that God has given you to do, to love the world, to love God, to love others, you're going to start to struggle a whole lot less with, with that stuff anyway. 
Get busy loving people. Get busy loving the family. Because before we even start loving the world out there, Jesus said it starts here because our love for one another will prove to the world that we are his disciples. Have a think, does my love for the people in the room prove to the world? Is it proof? If they saw my love for the people around me, would it prove that I am a follower of Jesus Christ? This is my command, love each other, take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. It's not about me. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. He said, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. And don't look out only, out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I'm going to, from here, build up to my one final point about the purpose of the gathering, the purpose of this moment on Sunday morning, because there is real purpose to the gathering of the people. But Paul said there, don't look out for your own interests, take an interest in others too. In conversation, ask people. You know, I love what James does with people. He always says, oh, what do you do Monday to Friday? It's a really easy, like, ice-breaking conversation opener. It's like, if you don't know what to say to someone, just ask them how they're going, and then ask them, what do you do Monday to Friday? Because it's really easy to tell about yourself. <laughs> it's really easy to tell someone what you do, Monday to Friday. And who knows, you might make an unbelievable connection in that moment. You might make a new network friend. Maybe someone that you can do business with. Maybe someone that can help you and support you in what you do Monday to Friday. Who knows? But take an interest. Show interest in other people. You know, I, I do a few things strategically uh, because as a leader of people, not only am I required it's part of my role as a pastor, but it's part of who I am. I want to take interest in other people. You know, even if it's something that I'm not really that interested in. It's like some sport, I couldn't care less about it. It's like, bores me to tears. I can't believe you would watch sport for two hours and then watch another game for two hours and then another game for two hours. I'm like, all the things I could be doing with that time. <laughs> it's like, unbelievable. But what do I do? Well, I want to show interest in what other people are interested in. So Google, God bless Google, I go and I follow a team and then it, it gives me live update scores and then sends me a little two and a half minute recap video on YouTube of the game. So I get all the highlights and the scores and I see the greatest moment in that game all in two and a half minutes. So then on Sunday when I'm talking to the boys about basketball, I'm like, oh, did you see this? Yeah, my team's, uh, you know, it's this place on the ladder and they, they beat this team this week. And they all think I've spent six hours watching it. You know, because like the perfect pastor, plenty of time to do everything. Not two and a half minutes, smash it out, boom. Take interest in other people. Show interest in their life. 
Because who knows, maybe you're not actually interested in what they do, but maybe you could help them do what they do. Maybe your gift could be a part of what they need to achieve what's on their life. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength and enjoy loving one another. Church, we are meant to enjoy our relationship with Jesus. It is not meant to be condemning. If you feel condemned, that is not God. The Holy Spirit does bring conviction, but He does not condemn. Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. John 3.17, for God did not send His Son into the world to judge them, but that through Him they might be saved. Condemnation is a tool of the enemy. If you feel bad, just ask God. Ask Him for help, because if it's making you not come closer to God, then it's condemnation. It's a simple way to look at it, but it's a simple truth. It's a simple gospel. It's meant to be enjoyable. You should enjoy your relationship with Jesus, and it should excite you to get to church on Sunday. It should excite you to love and to give and to engage with the people around you. I want to finish my sermon this morning with the Lord's Prayer. You've all probably prayed it what, a hundred times? Maybe a thousand times? I mean, the more you've prayed it, the worse it's probably going to hit you this morning. Because <laughs> like I said, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and just been meditating on over how do we deal with the flesh and the heart, the heart that is desperately wicked? How do we take up our cross daily and follow Jesus? Because that's what Jesus wants us to do. Not the misrepresented Jesus, not the Jesus that the church has not really done a great job of sometimes. Not the movie Jesus, the real Jesus. And Jesus said, this is how I want you to pray. Pray like this, he said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Our Father. Our Father. Not my Father. Our Father. Not give me. Give us. Give us today the food we need. Don't forgive me, Father. Forgive us. I looked up the word for us this morning. Our, in its original language, is pronounced ego. And it literally translates me, I, my. The word us is the exact same word. Literally translates me, I, my. Why did Jesus say to pray like this? Because when Jesus saved you, something that Pastor Mark says all the time, I love it, when he saved you, you had someone else in mind. Our Father, give us, forgive us. Defined as me, I, my, it implies a personal ownership over humanity in the prayer not just you, and not just this church, not just the people sitting next to you. Who did God love? For God so loved the whole world 
that he gave his one and only son. So when you pray that prayer, I want to encourage you, as Jesus encouraged us to, is to take personal ownership over humanity. Our Father. And not even just the children who have been saved thus far, but all of the lost children, the brothers and sisters that are out there that are yet to know the heart of the Father. Our Father. Our Father. Give us. Forgive us. Take ownership over humanity. Take ownership over your brother and sister. When you see someone struggling, our Father. He's your dad. He's my dad. Our Father. Give us today. God, they they are struggling right now. Give us. give, give, Give it to them or if you can give it to me, I'll give it to them. Give us today what we need and forgive us. Lord, clearly they're struggling. They've opened up to me. They've confessed their sin to one another. Lord, forgive us. Forgive my brother. Forgive my sister. Us, our, take personal ownership over the humanity around you. Jesus came for me and he came for anyone who would respond to his love. Jesus came for you and he came for everyone around you. Jesus then suffixes the prayer with a confronting statement about forgiveness. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 to 15, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. God is not able to do what He has said He cannot do. God's Word is absolute truth. If God says that I can't forgive you if you won't forgive your brother, then he can't forgive you. Your forgiveness of those around you allows the forgiveness of God to extend into your world. But can I encourage this morning that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You might struggle to deal with your flesh and to deal with your heart, but God has given us the answer. Church, take up your cross, die to yourself daily, and follow him. Can I get the band to come back up, please? You know, there is a flow that comes from the heart of the Father. There is a leaning towards humanity that our Father in heaven, his heart flows and overflows towards humanity. God has not withheld. God has extended even His only Son. There is a flow of love that starts in the throne room, that comes from the heart of the Father, and it flows to humanity, and it flows to you and I. And I want to encourage you to not stop that flow. Don't build a damn wall, let it out. Allow that flow to come to you and go through you. This end of the year, this season of Christmas, this moment of world celebration of the greatest gift, of the greatest act of selflessness of all time, that our Father would come as an infant, as a child, to serve His very creation, the flow from the heart of the Father, let it flow. Let it flow to you. Receive that forgiveness. Do not allow the lies from the pit of hell and the condemnation to cause you to hate what Jesus loves because He loves you. 
He cares about you. He has the best intention in mind for you. His thoughts and dreams are about you and about your future. What He wants for you is way better than the greatest dreams and desires that you could ever even hope to amount to. Allow the forgiveness to flow to you, but don't let it stop there, church. Allow that forgiveness to flow through you. Love your brother and your sister and prove to the world that there is a Jesus that can love them too. Let the world hear about your time here on Sunday. This is the purpose. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. This is the purpose of church. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Why? To encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Church, on your way to church, don't think about yourself. Don't think about what you can get out of it. That's going to happen anyway. But think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Think about the people in your church and think about how you can encourage them to do what is on their life, to be the best version of themselves. Think about someone and go, you know what, I sat to, sat next to them last Sunday. I wonder what they did this week. I, you know, I want to I catch up with them. You know what, I'm going to shout them a free coffee in the, in the cafe. That one's sorted out for you, isn't it? Ask him, what did you do? What have you been struggling with? Hey, I was praying for you on the way to church this morning and the Holy Spirit gave me this word for you. I just want to share it with you right now. Think of ways to motivate one another. Why? Because over the last six days, that motivation has waned. It's been attacked by your flesh, by your heart, and by your enemy. So come on Sunday ready to love one another to motivate one another, to build one another up, to prove to the world that you are His disciples. Come on, church, would you stand to your feet this morning?